Okay, Matthew chapter 22, if, if I've got this figured out uh, correctly, here in the middle of lesson number five. Um, this appears to be, the, what, what we're studying here is happening on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday, and uh, Jesus, of course, will be crucified on Friday. So we're looking at just the last few days of his life before uh, he gives his life on the cross. Now, he, in the daytime, he's been going into Jerusalem, spending a lot of time in the temple with large crowds all around him. And also the Pharisees, and we'll see the Sadducees, will come questioning him and trying to test him and deceive him and trick him into some uh, error. Uh, but but at all the time, there are large crowds around too. So while the Pharisees wanted to seize him, they were afraid to do so because the people were kind of hanging on every word that Jesus was saying, and they were afraid they would be stoned if they tried to take Jesus in the midst of the crowd. So Jesus now is really bearing down on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, he's been teaching and preaching and fulfilling prophecies and performing miracles for right about three years now. So he had given plenty of evidence that he was the Christ. And you remember, as he entered Jerusalem, this, uh, the, the triumphal entry, what the people were saying, Hosanna, son of David. Son of David was a phrase that meant, referred to the Messiah. So they were confessing him as the Messiah. The general people were, but not the Pharisees and Sadducees. And of course, the Pharisees didn't like that at all. And so now, after all this time and the Pharisees never giving in, for the most part, the leadership. Now, there were some exceptions. We know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee and later on the Apostle Paul as well. So there were some good-hearted Pharisees, but the leadership primarily had hearts of flint like those people of their ancestors of old. And so now it seems that Jesus is really bearing down on them. He had just told, talked about the parable of the two sons. And at the end of that parable, he said, the tax collectors talking to the Pharisees now and the scribes says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into heaven before you will. Now that must have stung. That hit them right between the eyes, didn't it? And then there was a parable of the vine growers, how that the, the uh, landowner had gone away and left his vineyard in, in their care. And they had misused and abused the, the servants and killed the son. And when he was finished, he said, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to somebody else. And the Pharisees understood that he was talking about them. So you can imagine how they were feeling now. And then there was a parable of the wedding feast. And at, in, in that parable, he said, uh, and this was referring to the Pharisees and all Jews that wouldn't uh, that rejected him as the Christ talked about the, would destroy these murderers and their city set on fire, apparently referring to the destruction of Jerusalem in a few years. And so now we're down to Matthew 22 and verse 15. So the Pharisees will give a, another try at uh, trying to cause Jesus some problems. Uh, Matthew says, and this is verse 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. Luke's account in Luke chapter 20 said they understood that these other parables had been against them. 
And so they sent spies, Luke says, who pretended to be righteous. And they would try to uh, deceive him and, and in some way that he could so they could deliver him to the, to the rule and authority of the governor. So that's their intent now. We're going to get Jesus to say something so we can turn him over to the government, maybe get him put in jail or something. And so, the, so they approached Jesus and they just said, is it lawful uh, to pay poll tax to Caesar or not? And you can imagine what's in their mind. Now, if he says yes, then who's going to be upset about that? Well, if he says yes, you should pay poll taxes, then it would be the Jews, right? They, they didn't like that. They didn't like having to do that. What if he said no, don't pay your taxes? Now he's rebelling against the government and they, can, they have reason to take him before the governor and have him arrested or whatever. So that's, that's the plan. But as usual, it looks like they would have known by now that they weren't going to get the best of Jesus. He says, give me a coin. And you look at that coin and it says, whose likeness do you see on this coin? And of course it was Caesar's. So he said, well, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, Rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God is, is, not, uh, is not a conflict, right? We know I've got Matthew or Romans 13 here where we're commanded to obey the, uh, the authorities of the government. In fact, the government gets their authority ultimately from God. You remember, I think it's there in John 19 uh, when Jesus was before Pilate and he was silent and Pilate says, why don't you say something? Don't you know I can release you or I can have you crucified? And Jesus, remember, what, what did Jesus say? You would have no authority except it come from above, right? And so it was, it was God that ordained that there be governments that keeps uh, order and that kind of thing, punishes the uh, evildoers and, and all those kinds of things. So rendering to Caesar what is Caesar does not conflict with rendering to God what is God's. In fact, if you're going to render to God what is God's, then you would have to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Does that make sense? So, but it says that uh, with that answer, said they were amazed and leaving him, they went away. And uh, Luke's account just says that uh, they became silent. That was about all they had to say about it. Any comments regarding that? Well, most of this had been in, in uh, regard to the uh, Pharisees. So the Sadducees think, well, well, we'll take our turn and see if we can uh, confuse Jesus a little bit. And so they, uh, this is Matthew 22, verse 23. On that day, some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came and asked Jesus this question. And so they used a part of the old law to try to get Jesus a little confused to see if they could ask him a question that he couldn't answer. And the law went something like this. When the Israelites took the promised land, every head of a family had his own farm, I'll say, had his own inheritance there, a plot of land. And uh, his, it would pass that down to his son and to his grandson and so on down through his lineage. That's the way it was supposed to work. But what if he didn't have a son? What would happen then? Well, the law said his brother would take his wife and produce offspring, and that offspring would be the inheritor, the, uh, the heir, and so forth. And so using that law, the Pharisees 
said, well, I mean, the Sadducees, is this, so this fellow died, he didn't have any heir. His brother took his wife, and they didn't have any heir. And there's another brother and another brother and another brother till it was seven brothers had taken this woman as their wife. And so they said, it's kind of like they're saying, if you're so smart, then tell us whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? I think that was kind of the mindset, wasn't it? And Jesus said, uh, let's see. In uh, verse 29 of Matthew 22, he said, But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the Scripture, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Now, if you have any more questions about all that in the resurrection, uh, I'm going to let Gerald answer any of those questions, okay? <laughs> because all I know about it is what that said. And Gerald may know a little bit, bit more about it. Uh, Luke did say this. He said, um, this is in Luke chapter 20. The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to the age and the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So that's Luke's version of that, and I'm just going to leave it right there, okay? Yes. Also, the Sadducees, in addition to the resurrection, they didn't believe in angels. Okay, the, the Sadducees right. didn't believe in angels either. Well, that's, yeah, that's 23 verse 8. They didn't, believe a spirit. They, didn't, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in a spirit right. or the resurrection. So he, he you know, contradicts two different beliefs that they have because he mentions angels in heaven. So they believed that when you died, what does it say, like the rover, you're dead all over, you know, you just cease to exist. And there are some still that teach that today, at least regarding the, the wicked. And so he goes on, though. He does uh, kind of answer the question in a way. He, he knows that what they're getting at is that they don't believe in a resurrection. So he's going to prove to them that uh, there is a resurrection. And he goes back to the Old Testament. Remember in Exodus chapter 3, when God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of bondage, out of Egypt, into the promised land. And Moses sees this burning bush. It's burning, but it's not being consumed. He said, wow, now let me take a little closer look at this. So he comes closer, and God identified himself. And what did God say to Moses? I am who? The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Where were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at that time? They'd been dead 400 years or so, right? At the time, God said in the present tense, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the point is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still exist somewhere. They're not gone into non-existence or anything like that. And he goes on to say there in verse 32... I am, uh, I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, and he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And uh, in Luke's account, it says, and they did not have courage to question him any further. And so he, he's showing that these people who are supposed to be the lawyers, those that are, have the most knowledge of the law, need to learn a little bit themselves. They don't know as much about it as they would have you believe. 
And remember, crowds of people around are listening to all of this, what Jesus is saying. Any comments there regarding it? Scribes and the Pharisees then question Jesus again, and finally, they, uh, they actually ask a pretty good question. And it, it doesn't seem like that this one really was intended to trap Jesus. But what they asked him was, uh, what, what is the great or the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. For this is the greatest and foremost commandment. But Jesus wanted them to know a little bit more than that. Yeah, this is the greatest commandment. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little more information than you asked for. Verse 39, this second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, okay, love the Lord, number one. Love your neighbor, number two. Love your neighbor like yourself. Verse 40 says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. What does that mean? Verse 40, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Like the cornerstone. The cornerstone, okay, that's one way to say it. Anybody else? Yes, Sam? The Ten Commandments could be divided up into loving God and loving man, or how you treat God and how you treat man. So that's one thing that I, that I would think of in that. But also, if, if you're like the Pharisees, they thought more about what they needed to do for God, and they really didn't care how it affected everyone around them. Jesus many times said, they'll tell you what to do, but they're not about to help you accomplish what needs to be done. We're going to see that in the next chapter. So, yeah, so they, they really didn't care about how it affected their fellow man. And I, I feel like Jesus is kind of showing that to them and saying, look, you've got the God thing right. You need to work on the man thing the other half of <laughs> okay. Good way to put it. Okay, here's the way I, okay. Every commandment, I believe, just go back and look at all the commandments or the old law. All of them have to do with either your relationship with God or your relationship with your neighbor, right? Every command. And so if you love the God with all your heart and you see those commandments regarding your fellowship with him, then you're going to keep those commandments, right? When you, when you uh, love your neighbor as yourself and you see one of those commandments in regard to how you treat your neighbor, then you're going to treat him right if you love him as you love yourself, right? And so... Every commandment of the old law can be under one of those two headings. Love the Lord with all your heart or love your neighbors yourself. Every single commandment could be placed under one or both of those headings. Some of them would be under both headings, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, and uh, as Sam has said, we'll see that uh, the Pharisees were deficient really in, in both of those. They wanted you to think they loved the Lord, but they... Uh, uh, disobeyed him when they thought it was to their advantage, but they certainly didn't love their neighbors themselves either. Any, any other? Uh, Mitch. Just to add a little bit to that, uh, not only are they, uh, could all of the law be put under either of those headings, but if you are not keeping either of those commands, you are no longer keeping any part of the law. 
good, good point. And you can see I put Micah 6 and verse 8. I, I guess you've figured out now that's one of my favorite passages. <laughs> what does God require of the old man? But to do justice. Okay, if I'm doing justice, what am I going to do with my neighbor? I'm going to treat him right. <laughs> to love mercy. If I love my neighbors myself and, and my neighbor needs some help, and I'm going to show mercy and I'm going to help him, right? And the third thing is to walk humbly with your God. Love the Lord your God all your heart and soul and mind. I'm going to walk humbly with my God if, if I love him with all my heart, right? So you can see it fits perfectly with what Micah said God requires of us. Justice, mercy, walk humbly with your God. And we're going to see that again in the next chapter, chapter 23. The uh, next event in our lesson guide was actually labeled incorrectly. It said Jesus questions them about baptism. That's not at all what he questioned them about. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> what he asked them was, uh, he was, it says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. Matthew 22, verse 41, 42. What, what do you think about the Christ, God's anointed one, the Messiah? Who is he? And they said, he is the son of David. How did they know that? They answered correctly, didn't they? How did they know that? All the prophecies. All the prophecies. Psalm 132, verse 11 is one of them, right? Um, see if I can get my... It says, uh, the, the Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back of the fruit of your body I will set upon the throne. So... Uh, a descendant of David is going to sit on the throne. I think uh, 2 Samuel 7 also would be another place, and there may be others. So they answered that question correctly, right? Who, who is the Christ? Who is he? Well, they said, well, he's the son of David. And he said to them, how then does David in the Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, said so David led by the Holy Spirit said this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I, make your, uh, I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? So, so the way that worked in the uh, uh, culture of the day is uh, the son would call the father or the grandfather, the great father, grandfather Lord. It would never be the other way around. The father didn't call the son Lord. The son called the father Lord. That's the way it worked. But here we see David uh, obviously referring to the Messiah and, called, and that's his son. We've already seen that the Messiah would be the son of David. So how can it be then that David, the father, calls the son Lord? That's just all backwards, isn't it? How can that be? That's the question. So what's the answer? By the way, they wouldn't answer it. The Pharisees wouldn't answer the question. They probably didn't know the answer. And uh, Jesus didn't answer it either. But you know the answer, right? What, what's the answer to that question? How, how is it that the Father called the Son Lord? Existed before him. Good. I hadn't thought about it in that light. You're exactly right there. Anything, anything else? Jesus was the Messiah. God incarnate. God, he's so there's 
He's David's son in the sin, on the physical side, right? You, you trace Matthew chapter 1, trace the lineage down. So physically on the human side of Jesus, when he came, read uh, Philippians chapter 2, he gave up everything he had in heaven, didn't consider it being equal with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and came and submitted to the death on the cross. So there's, he, he, there's the human side. He came as a human being. And on that side, he's David's son. But on the deity side, he's his master. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28, verse 18? I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. If he's got all authority, what does that mean? He's, he's the master. If you remember the very first gospel sermon, I may have it down there. Verse, Acts 2, verses 22 is the, is the human side. It talks about this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, this man he talked about. But in verse 36, what, what did Peter say there? This, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him what? Lord and Christ. So it's altogether appropriate then for David to call him Lord because that's exactly what he is on the deity side. So uh, that's the answer to the question, even though Jesus didn't answer it to you. It, why do you think, I, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't even get into this because we don't know, why, why would he ask that question if uh, they didn't answer it and neither did he? So why would he even ask the question? Good question, huh? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It would, it would be a guess on my part. Maybe, remember, there were lots of people listening. And they'd put all their trust in these religious leaders. They thought they knew everything. They're finding out these Pharisees and Sadducees, they don't know everything. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's why he asked the question. Any other thought? Right. You think on it longer when you don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that, maybe that would get them to go back and dig a little deeper into the Old Testament. Maybe, maybe that's, and, uh, and who knows, maybe some of them did. We don't, we don't know. We, we know the leadership went on and crucified him, right? Uh, but maybe some of them repented. Maybe some of them saw the light. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, Ma Matthew chapter 23 now. Matthew chapter 23, he just, the Pharisees, he just about skinned them alive. We used to say when I was growing up, he raked them up one side and down the other. You know, Justin Wilson used to say he raked them up one side and down the same side. That really hurt. <laughs> and that's about, that's about what he did. But I was thinking about, I think he's trying to break through that heart of Flint is what he's trying to do. I've taught the gospel, and I've taught the gospel, and I've fulfilled prophecies, and I've performed miracles, and none of that's worked. So, boy, he's hitting them between the eyes right now. But it's, it's not because uh, he hates these people or uh, wants them to be lost or anything like that. It, it reminds me of Ezekiel 33 and verse 11. I'm going to read that to you. Remember, Ezekiel, where was Ezekiel? In Babylonian captivity, right? But Jerusalem was still standing at the early part of Ezekiel anyway. But he says to this, this is God speaking. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil way. 
Why then will you die, O house of Israel? And we've seen twice how that Jesus wept over Jerusalem, or we'll see it again in chapter 23. But uh, God doesn't take any pleasure in punishing the wicked. And God, Jesus is not saying these things to the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees because he hates them and he's going to take some joy in the punishment that they're going to endure. That's not the reason. He's trying to save souls. You remember when, when James and John didn't like what the, the Samaritans had done? He said, Lord, you just give us the word. We'll call down fire on these people and, boy, we'll wipe them out. We'll, just, we'll take care of them. Jesus said, no. What did he say? I've come to do what? Save. To save, not to destroy. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's hitting them right between the eyes pretty hard, but the point is and the objective is to save some souls. That's what it's all about. So let's look at back chapter 23. We'll have to do this fairly quickly. So he start, it says uh, 23 verse 1, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, so he's turned his attention away from the Pharisees, and now he's talking to everybody else. Okay? He said, the scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. In other words, they're, they're pretending to be the authority now. You remember, not only did they um, teach the law of Moses, although they distorted it in many ways, but then they had their own uh, traditions they wanted you to keep too. See? In fact, they held their traditions above the law in a lot of times. And so they've set themselves into positions of, of authority here. He says in verse 3, well, do as they say, but don't do as they do. Why? Because they lay heavy burdens on you, but they're not willing to even lift it with one, one finger even. And look at verse 5. Here's the key to it. But they do all their deeds to be noticed of men. Uh, they love the, the, uh, the places of honor in the banquets, verse Six, and the chief seats in the synagogues, they like to be called rabbi and father and teacher and all these things. See, they like for you to look up to them as, as authority. Verse 9, do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. So Russell Lowell Grimmett was my dad. Is it wrong for me to call him father? No. What, what does he mean here? Call no man your father. spiritual father as some kind of a religious title or something like that. I have a physical father, but I only have one spiritual father, and he's in heaven. So I'm not going to call any man on earth father in, in that way. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. And so he's going to pronounce eight woes on the Pharisees. And all but one, I believe it is, starts out like this. This is verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, I'm not going to read that in every one of these woes, but that's the way it starts with one exception. <clears throat> what is a hypocrite? Okay, they, they, they pretend they're, they're something and they're really something else. Uh, Leland probably helped me with this. If I remember right, the Greek word translated hypocrite comes from a root word that was used for actors. 
you know, so what does an actor do? Here's, a, here's an actor, and he's in a, a, a Western film, and so he's pretending to be a cowboy, probably never rode a horse in his life, <laughs> and never wore a hat unless he was in this movie. So he's, he's pretending to be something that he's really not. And so these Pharisees are pretending to be something that they're not, and he's going to show lots of reasons why that is true. <clears throat> Verse 13, uh, you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people for you do, not, you do not enter yourselves and do not want to allow others who are wanting to go in. So <clears throat> you won't uh, give me a, a reasonable uh, evaluation. You won't look at the, the uh, prophecies I've fulfilled and, and, the, and the miracles and the things that I've taught. People that will properly evaluate this will understand that I am the Christ, but you don't do that. You won't come in, you won't uh, weigh the evidence properly, and you don't want anybody else to either. So you don't want to come in and you want to prevent other people from coming in. Verse 14, you devour widows' houses for a pre and for a pretense you make long prayers. Now, I don't know exactly what he means by devouring widows' houses but I'm pretty sure I'm safe in saying it. Whatever it was, it wasn't good for the widow, right? Whatever it was they were doing, devoured. So where is the mercy and the justice when it comes to the widow, the poor widow? No mercy, no justice. But at the same time, they stand out on the street corner so you can see them and stand there and pray for a long time. They want to make sure a lot of people get to see them being so... Uh, reverent and pious and that kind of thing. And at the same time, this poor widow, they're going to do that widow wrong. Probably the most needy in society, the widows and the orphans of the day. Verse, so you, you can see the hypocrisy there. Verse 15, because you travel around sea and land to make one proselyte, so you just travel there and do everything you can to make a proselyte wants to make them their disciples, not the disciples of Christ. But when it comes to you, make, you make him twice the son of hell as yourselves. So you're a hypocrite, and whenever you can finally get another disciple, uh, you make them even worse than you are. <laughs> uh, That's that pretty, pretty tough to be worse than what, but that's what he's, you make them even worse than you. Verse 16, he talks about swearing. If you swear by the temple, then that really doesn't mean anything. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, then you're obligated to keep whatever you're swearing to do, I suppose, there. And Jesus said, uh, you're, you're a fool and you're blind there in verse 17. Which is more important, the temple or the gold? Is that the gold is sanctified by the temple. They had it right backwards, didn't they? Had it completely backwards. It reminded me of what Jesus said about uh, swearing in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. You remember in, in Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say about swearing by this, that, and the other? Let your yea be yea. If you tell the truth all the time, people will know, won't they? And you won't have to be swearing this and swearing that. When you say yes, people will know you mean yes. And when you say no, people will know you mean no. And he went on to say, this is in the parable um, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he said, 
that you yes be yes or no be no. Anything beyond this is evil. <laughs> See, you only got to swear because you really hadn't been very honest to begin with. <laughs> and people don't have much confidence in what you say, so then you resort to swearing by this, that, and the other. So uh, the Pharisees, they had this all turned around all backwards. Verse 23, now here's one that's misused a lot. He says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Those are just, as I understand it, very small herb seeds, be just very small that you'd get out of your garden. And so they tithe those. So if they got 10 of those little bitty seeds, then they'll give one of them, right? They'll give a tenth of all of that, right down to the little bitty seeds you get out of your garden. That's how precise they were in their tithing. Is that wrong? No, we'll, we'll see. He'll, he'll tell us in just a minute that that was okay to do that. That was right to do that, as a matter of fact. So you've done that, but you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. See, there's Micah 6 and verse 8 again, isn't it? Justice, mercy, and the faithfulness would equate to the walk humbly with your God. Same thing. That's what God, from Adam to the day and on to the end, that's what God has required of man since the very beginning. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And he's saying that again. But you've neglected that. You tithe down to the, the smallest little seed. But then you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And a lot of people want to stop right there and they'll say, if you're teaching that you need to keep all these commandments, you're, that's legalism. And, and Jesus says, you don't really need to do that, just justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Well, I'd like to know how you could be faithful and not keep the commandments. How can you do that? <laughs> you can't do that, can you? So, but, but he goes on to say that, that they don't like to read the end of that verse. It says, but these things, that's tithing those little seeds, these things you should have done, but not neglecting the other. So tithing the seeds, that's good. You should have done that. You're doing right. But don't neglect mercy and justice and faithfulness while you're tithing those little seeds. Any comments there? I've actually talked with people that tried to use that to say you don't need to keep the commandments, but they always forget the end of that verse. I always forget the end of the verse. You should have done those things. And, and I, again, I contend the faithfulness, you can't be faithful to God and not keep his commandments, can you? How can you be faithful to God and not keep his commandments? That's impossible. So really, even if the end of that verse wasn't there, you would still say you needed to keep tithe those seeds, right? That was the right thing to do. And then there's something really interesting. Verse 24, you blind guides, see, they want to be the guides of the people. Look at me, I can tell you what you need to do. I'm the authority here, I'm the guide. Jesus said, you're blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Uh, when I see you, you got a bowl of soup here and a gnat gets in it, what are you going to do? You don't want to eat the gnat, right? So you strain out the gnat. But then there's a camel sitting in your bowl of soup and you just eat it right up. <laughs> you see how ridiculous that is? He says, that's what you do. You strain at a little thing, but then the big things, 
you, you just, it made me think about John chapter 19. Remember Jesus and, and, and the uh, two thieves are on the cross, and this is Friday. What's the next day? The Sabbath. And, and they didn't want to do anything to besmirch the Sabbath in any way. So they said, we need to be sure all these guys are dead and get them off the cross. We don't want them to be on the cross on the Sabbath day and besmirch the Sabbath in any way. Be real careful. You know, we, we want to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All right? But they hadn't had any qualms at all about murdering an innocent man, did they? They strained at a gnat. They swallowed a camel. What are your thoughts? Any comment? I Right. Yeah, there's some analogy. I hadn't thought about it like that. Uh, the camel is weightier than a gnat. Uh, and physical weight, and of course, the other weight was not physical weight, but I guess I can see the correlation there. Yes. If we're not careful, we can be just like the Pharisees. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's, uh, it's very easy to say I keep the commandments, I do this, I do that, and I'm very, ho- I'm very holy, I'm very godly. Yet... Um, if you do a little sin, it, it's still a sin. It's still a sin. We've got to be very careful of not being a hypocrite ourselves, and we've got to be very careful about not being self-righteous. Right. Because that is a sin as well. Yeah. Don't get caught up in grading sins, right? We let God do that. Sin is a sin. And, of course, all of this uh, is... Well, it has to do with pride and humility, that kind of thing, too. But we'll get into that uh, in a moment. Any other thoughts? Yes. Oh, Bruce, go ahead. The uh, Gulf War, General Schwarzkopf was confronted with a bunch of soldiers that claimed that when they joined the Army, they didn't expect to go to war. And his comment was, you didn't read the big print. (laughs) And that's... That's what I tell uh, people, and we ought to tell people when they talk about salvation by faith only and other ways to get to heaven and other uh, things that are not in the New Testament. You've got to read the big print. It's there. Uh, Everything we need to know about salvation, everything we need to know about Jesus, uh, it's not everything we may want to know, but it's everything we need to know. And I think that's what he's saying here. You need to go back and read the big print in the law instead of all of these little things that are okay with you. You've got to struggle with the things that maybe are not okay with you uh, personally. Very good. Thank you. Anything else? All right. So he goes on to say, uh, verse... 25. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You, you clean the outside of the cup of the, and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. That get, goes back to what they were doing with the poor widows, right? Inside they were full of robbery. And uh, the, verse 27 is similar. You whitewash the tombs 
on the outside and make them look nice and pretty, but the tomb on the inside is full of dead men's bones. Dead men's bones. He said, that's a good picture of you. On the outside, you want everybody to think you're nice and pious and all that kind of thing, but on the inside, you're just as rotten as you can be. Verse 29 talks about the build the tombs of the prophets. Verse 30 said, uh, they say if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have been partners with them in shedding the blood at all. We wouldn't have. We know our fathers persecuted and killed the prophets. But boy, if I'd have been lying, not me, I wouldn't have been uh, in cahoots with them doing those kinds of things. But in verse 30, well, let's read 33 first. He called call them uh, serpents and a brood of vipers in verse 33. How would you escape the sentence of hell? Verse 34, therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in our synagogues and persecute from city to city. Just read the book of Acts. And you'll see that these same Pharisees, they did the same thing that their fathers had done to the prophets, didn't they? Same thing. Verse 36, truly I say to you, well, let's back up. Back up to uh, verse 35. So that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. And truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So you're going to be punished. You're guilty. You're just as guilty as, as any of the, your fathers ever were, and, and maybe even more because you're going to kill the Son of God. And so... Uh, the guilt is going to come upon this, this very generation. And I assume there he's, uh, for the most part, referring to the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Very quickly, we're just about out of time. We're, I'd hope to get into Lesson 6 this morning. We'll, have to, we'll be a lesson behind again. But So as they're uh, going uh, about the temple there, Jesus sees a, uh, a widow and some rich people, and they're putting money into the treasury, and they're putting large amounts into the treasury. And this widow comes along, one of those that the Pharisees would take advantage of, and uh, she puts in two little copper coins. And in, in, in terms of money, it was virtually nothing. It probably didn't make, it, as far as supporting uh, the worship in the temple or anything, it probably meant almost nothing. But to God, it meant a lot. Right? He said, this poor widow put in more than all of the rest of them. So how, how is that? These two little, we would think of it maybe being as a couple of pennies. And it might not have even been worth a penny in our money today. But Jesus said that was more than what all these rich people put in. In what sense was that true? Yeah. Was a matter of sacrifice, wasn't it? They sacrificed little. She sacrificed a lot. They gave of their plenty. She gave of her need.
And so, uh, lesson for us, lesson for us. Yeah, I, can, I can remember reading of folks that were, were very, very poor and, and maybe even after they passed away, you would see uh, money they had put in their Bible to lay by in store on the first day of the week. Uh, back in 1985, I was in a very serious automobile accident, was laid up for three months, was out of work, and that can kind of put you in a bind financially. And one of the brethren of the congregation heard about it, and one day I, one evening, knocked on the door, and he came in and sat and talked. And he just lived on Social Security is all he had and very little of that. And as he was leaving, he said, I'm going to leave a little something here for you, Johnny. He put something on the table and out the door, not another word, out the door he went. And I thought, well, what is that? And I, I, I couldn't get up. I was all busted up. I couldn't get out of my chair. But I could scoot around until I could reach over to that table and get it. And he left some money. And I am certain that he was probably the poorest man in the congregation. And uh, he probably needed it worse than I did. I'm sure he did. I'm sure that he needed that money more than I needed it. But he was willing to make that sacrifice for a brother. And I thought about taking it to him and give it back to him, and I thought it, it would just hurt him to do that. I'm not going to do that to him. And so I didn't. But anyway, it's about the sacrifice. So we'll end right there. Time is gone. And let's pick up lesson number six, uh, Matthew 24. And I'll, so next week, I want you to tell me all about Matthew 24, okay? <laughs> <laughs>